Let me ask you a question. I'm, I like to start with questions. Uh, who is the most powerful man in the world? It's not me. I know, I know, I know you want a quick, it wasn't me, right? Who's the most powerful man in the world? The answer to that question is going to depend on what I mean by powerful, isn't it? If I'm talking about mere strength, there's a guy by the name of Brian Shaw who won the 2013 Strongman competition. He deadlifted 1,122 pounds. That's a lot of weight. That requires an intense amount of power to do that. But if you're talking about uh, influence, you're talking about the capacity to do something in the world, right? Lead, influence, some sort of authority to make things happen in the world. Forbes said Barack Obama was the most powerful man in the world. Mostly because, right, his title. Whoever is the president of the United States, 99 times out of 100, is going to be considered to be the most powerful person in the world. Okay, so that's that. But as powerful as these men are, we recognize that their power is limited. It's limited in scope. That is, their authority and their strength, is, it's only for a particular issue, a particular arena, a particular domain. And their power is limited in time. Right? The president's only there for eight years max, unless you're FDR, which I don't know what happened there. Right? And this guy's not going to be able to lift that kind of weight into his 70s. Maybe some of you were close in your 70s, I don't know. But there's limits to the power and the authority that comes with these men. Today we're coming to a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts that displays a power much greater than these men. That puts on display an authority and a strength that deals with issues much bigger than just some political issues of the day or lifting up some weights off the ground. Something that deals with human brokenness in a way that no human being has ever been able to do, except for one. So today I want to invite you to go to Acts chapter 3. We continue our series in the book of Acts. Tim last week walked us through uh, those five verses that really unpackage what the result of the preaching of the gospel was, right? Peter, of all people, Peter preaches the gospel about the risen Jesus And then there is something that happens as a result of that. It's the birth of the church. And then there are rhythms, rituals, uh uh-oh, he said, ritual. There are things that characterize the church. And now we see kind of the specifics of some of those rituals that take place. So let's see what God is doing in the life of the church in chapter 3. Verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms to those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. 
He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. A couple verses later, or earlier, I'm sorry, we see that day by day, the church, again, back to their rhythm, back to what they were all about, Day by day, we're entering into the temple, right? They had received the gospel. They had been worshiping and and seeing the resurrected Jesus in the context of the Jewish faith. And they continued to be faithful at living out some of their rhythms, right? They continued to pray, as we saw in chapter 1 and and the beginning of chapter 2, right? The, The church, normal rhythm, included a constant and consistent practice of prayer, right? Look at verse 1. Right Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. There were specific moments in the day where this is what the people did. They entered into the temple and they prayed. This is the rhythm of the early church. Even as, pow- as much power as they had now experienced with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, even though they had seen success in their preaching, wow, 3,000 people came to faith. Guess what they recognized they continued to need to do even though they began to see great fruit of their ministry? What? Pray, right? Even though they were continuing to see the power of God on display, in no way, shape, or form did they think for one minute that they could continue to engage in everyday mission without the power of God through dependent prayer. The church continued to do what it always did, even before it was the church, cry out and pray to God. So on the way to pray, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John come face to face with the brokenness of people. Look at verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, <coughs> Excuse me, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So in their normal everyday mission, their normal everyday rhythm, what happens? They're entering into the temple and they see brokenness. They come face to face with brokenness, physical brokenness. Right? This man who, his whole life, a man crippled from birth, man lame from birth. That is, his whole life, this is all that he's known. Right? He's never known what it's like to walk, never had strength in his legs to get up. He always needed somebody to carry him. This was before the day where they had whatever devices and technological advances and electricity or, or, or even, a, even a wheelchair, that is, to get around. For this man to go anywhere, he had to be carried. 
He was completely dependent upon other people to just do the simplest of tasks. And Peter and John come face to face with one who's physically inept, financially broke, right? He can't get a job, really. Really asking is his job. He's broke. His pockets are empty. And he's not just financially broke, but he is physically broke. And you can imagine, you know, there's, in his mind, he's probably like, well, there's nothing that I'm ever going to be able to do about it, right? So many of us, when we're entrapped and enslaved in a condition of brokenness, come, come to the thought, like, at the end of the day, I've tried this, I've tried that, but at the end of the day, there's nothing that I can do about it, right? There's nothing that I can do to change my situation. I'm broken. It is what it is. There's nothing that can be done. I'm stuck. And so entrenched in that, stuck and enslaved in his brokenness, he figures, well, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it. There might as well be something that I do with it. Right? He can't change his condition, but he can capitalize on his condition. And not only did he recognize that, but so did others as they carried him. Others are using him so that he could ask for money. But what's interesting is this. You think, well, what is he doing there at 3 o'clock in front of the temple? Well, you know, he knows what he's doing, and so do the people that have carried him. Right? What are some of the greatest things in terms of having success in business? Two things. Timing and location. Right? Ray Kroc. Mickey D's cat. Anybody remember the Ray Kroc dude? No? You're probably like, that's the Chick-fil-A guy. Maybe he is. I don't know. I thought it was a McDonald's guy. Ray Kroc said this, the two most important requirements for major success are first, being in the right place at the right time, and second, doing something about it. Right? This is business. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. He knows that that's the time. If I come here in the middle of the night, not going to be any people. Right? And location. Why the entrance of the temple? Ah, so the people entering the temple, guess what they kind of are feeling as they're entering into the temple? Is this my last time entering into the temple? Right? Like, considering what I just did, considering the, the, the guilt that I feel, considering the condemnation, condemnation that I feel, is this, are my sins going to ruin me? I walk in and I worship God, I'm not going to be accepted. It's all just, you know, me doing my thing, but God's not pleased with me. So maybe, just maybe, if on the way in, I take a little bit of silver and a little bit of gold, and I drop it into the cup of this guy who's poor, then maybe God's going to be pleased with me. If I just engage in some sort of good work on the way in, maybe that sets me up for a little bit of favor from God. So again, you talk about timing and location. This guy knows what he's doing, and so do the people that have brought him there. He's not going to be able to do anything about his condition. He's stuck in it. But maybe he can capitalize on his condition. Three o'clock, worshipers entering in. This guy knows what he's doing. He's stuck in it, but maybe he can do something about it. You know, we see that across the county, don't we? Right? We see people asking for money. They're not in a back alley. Thompson and Erie, Right? Teal Ave, the exit. I'm even seeing somebody asking for money 
at the corner of John Glenn and 57th. So we say, well, that's the city stuff. It's right here. Brokenness is staring at us everywhere we go. Location and time. We shouldn't be surprised by this. This is what God is doing through the church, right? Everyday mission is bringing the church face-to-face with brokenness. And we shouldn't be surprised by that when we see it in our, in our community. That's what is taking place, right? If, if God is pouring His Spirit on all flesh, if God is preaching the gospel to the whole world, if He's telling them to go into all the world right, and make disciples, then sure enough, in the day-to-day mission, in the day-to-day activities of the church, they're going to come face-to-face that need Jesus most. Face-to-face with everyday brokenness. If you go to the near west side with Missio, guess what? Brokenness is obvious, isn't it? You see it, just like they did. It's staring at you in the face. And some of the most basic of needs of the people that live in the near west side of Syracuse are just simply not being met. So when you start talking about everyday mission in the context of brokenness, oh, I know what we can do. We can feed them, we can clothe them, we can give them shelter. But when we come up to the suburbs, we think, oh, well, brokenness is up there, right? Or, Or down there into the city. That's where the broken people live. But friends, in no way, shape, or form should we think that brokenness is relegated to the city. Brokenness is just as prevalent and pervasive in this community as it is anywhere. Because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a constant human condition. It's, it's tied to the reality of sin in the world. We are a broken people. It may not look like this, that is, unable to walk. It may not look like people who are financially broke. We may have SUVs, we may have 50-inch flat screens, but in no way, shape, or form can we assume that brokenness is not just as real in us and in our community that it is anywhere else. We're broken. I've been asking pastors and people, if you were to look below the surface, because on the surface, people look like they've got it all together for the most part in the suburbs, don't they? Manicured lawns, you know, nice cars, landscaping looks good. You know, khakis, you know, like everyone's, you know, they got the Bluetooth thing going on, iPhones, you know, little shine in the smile. I'm saying things that are dating me. Bluetooth is like, dude, we don't do that anymore, (laughs) right? But I've been asking people and pastors, what's brokenness look like in the northern suburbs? You know what they tell me? One guy I thought was compelling, he told me, he gave me five Ds. First of all, he talks about uh, um, divorce, broken relationships, right? Relationships. And, and go along with that is this idea that there's um, uh, dysfunction in the family. So a lot of conflict. Again, everything looks good on the outside, but below the surface, behind the two-car garage, hanging over, right, or standing next to the granite countertops is division and discord in the home. Uh, spouses are experiencing that, and also moms and dads are, are, and, and kids with their kids. How about this diagnosis? Somebody's been diagnosed with something cancer, disease. My child's just been diagnosed with autism or Asperger's, right? So, again, this brokenness should not be. Something needs restored in that. Fourth, depression. 
right? Again, everybody looks great, but at night they sit in their chair, they're isolated, they're alone, they're feeling disappointment, and they're depressed. And last, of course, everyone is dealing with death. Think of what one of our own is dealing with now with his death. Again, this, these are things that are pervasive in our community. And I would even add another one about dependency, right? Someone's dependent on a substance and they're broken. They're enslaved to it. Whatever that substance is. I mean, it may not be a paper bag with a bottle in it struggling to walk down a street in the city. That's obvious. It might be just your neighbor who every night has a, you know, a, 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 a custom bar in his basement that he enjoys every night to the point of falling asleep in his recliner. All the while, he's broken. Friends, brokenness is real, and it's pervasive, and it's right next door in the suburbs. And we have to assume that if God has sent us into this place with the message of Jesus Christ, guess what? We are going to come face to face with that brokenness all the time. It's not a matter of, is brokenness present and real? It's a matter of, what will we do with it, right? And what does Peter and John do? Look at verse 4. So he's asking Peter and John, verse 3, for money, basically. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and says, look at us. Hey, look, hey, turn your eyes toward us. Look at us. So uh, Peter and John are not ignoring They're not doing a drive-by. They're not pretending they're having a conversation about something else that's way more important on the way in. They're not going, man, I'm sorry, kind of late for the prayer meeting. They're making themselves available to brokenness, aren't they? They're interruptible in the face of brokenness. Some of us need to be interruptible in our everyday life to be available to deal with brokenness, don't we? Some of our schedules need to not be 15-minute increments. That's my problem. We're so scheduled, we're so busy, that we're, we're not available to the brokenness that's staring at us in the face. We walk right past it. But Peter and John, they make themselves available to the brokenness of people that are staring there right in the face. Someone that would have been ignored by so many other people, Peter and John refuse to ignore it. And look at what he says. They say, look at us. Peter and John give their attention, they do not relegate the responsibility to somebody else. They don't hope that the government or some local church pastor will deal with it. They take responsibility of the brokenness that they see. And the second thing that I notice here is that Peter and John readily admit what they do not have. Some of us need to just readily admit of what we do not have and what we're unable to handle. Look what he says. He says, silver and gold I do not have. You know, from a financial perspective, Peter and John are in the same boat, right? We got nothing, man. We're broke. From a financial, from a physical perspective, say, hey, we're in the same boat. So on the surface, you know, Peter and John might be just as broke as this guy. So they recognize what they do not have, but they also boldly proclaim and generously give what they do have. You know, I'm not so sure that we can, even though we say, man, we're so broke. Man, my bills are... 
I'm not so sure that we can say silver and gold that we do not have. Thomas Aquinas talks about that at one point with one of his students. They're talking about, the student says to Aquinas, he says, I'm not so sure that we can say that. The church can't say that. But nonetheless, Peter and John don't have it. But they do know what they have and they do give generously. Look at what he says. I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Again, Peter and John know what they have in relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you know what you have in relationship to Jesus Christ? Let me ask it a different way. Do you know who has you? Namely, Jesus Christ. Has that reality taken root to the extent that you have an awareness of what you have in relationship to Jesus Christ and that it's been given to you not to be hoarding, not for you and your buddies, but something that God has given to you. He's done something in you in order that He might do something through you. Right? Jesus' name is big enough to save you, but it's also big enough to bring healing and cure through you. As you boldly proclaim and generously give His name to the world. And look what happens. Some of us are thinking in the nail-biter moment at the end of verse 6. Okay, He said it. Is this like one of those healing services where nothing happens? Shoot. The guy got up there. He's like, you know, this is my day. I know it. You know, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And nothing happens. And everybody goes, well, it must be the guy's faith. He didn't have enough faith, right? This is that nail-biter moment. What happens? He proclaims the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He tells the guy, he commands the guy, rise up and walk. And Peter, having such faith in the name of Jesus, takes him by the hand, raises him up. And the text says, immediately, to underscore the miraculous. This is not a process. Over a period of days, he did some physical therapy and he got better. This is a miracle. Immediately, after 40 years... Even though he had not known anything else from birth, he stands up, his feet and his ankles were made strong. What is going on here? What is taking place? This is not normal. This doesn't happen in the context of everyday mission, does it? That's what we see taking place in the early church, right? This is a specific example of something Tim talked about last week. That uh, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And that's connected to what? The day of the last days, the fulfillment of that prophecy, right? Chapter 2 from Joel. This is what God is going to do. He is pouring out His Spirit, and, and guess what? He's going to show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. So this miracle, this immediate restoration of strength, which this man has never known, is tied to what God is currently doing in the world and is tied to this name of Jesus Christ. Bottom line, what this means is a new king is in town. There's a new king in town. So when we talk about the most powerful person in the world, we're talking about Jesus. Can we just say that for a minute? 
When we're talking about power, we're talking about strength, we're talking about authority. Authority to do what no other man or woman or any person throughout all of human history was ever able to do, to say with the power of His Word, His inherent person and the power attached to that, that is able to, with sovereign authority, have power over our bodies. All that is created. Jesus just says something, Jesus just wants to do it, and guess what? It happens. It goes against every understanding in our mind of human expectation and possibility. There's a new king in town. His name is Jesus. We saw that last chapter, right? There's a, he's been exalted. He's at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit's been poured out. That's what this language is all about. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's king. He's in charge. And so this healing is not like a, just a wow moment for us where we go, oh, that's pretty cool. This is a revelation of the person and power of Jesus. Don't miss that. New king in town. There's power in the name of Jesus because there's power attached to his person. And the way that we name today, I'm not sure the process of how Hannah was named, right? When I found out what my name was, Michael, and what it meant, it was who is like the Lord, and I thought, well, man, that's pretty cool, right? You hear that? Who's like the Lord? And finally, I was like, wait, that's a question. Who is like, who is like the Lord? It's rhetorical, no one. So I was like, well, that didn't work out for me, right? Nobody's like the Lord, so I'm not, not so excited about my name. But we don't really name that way as much anymore, do we? The meaning attached to the person and the essence. But they name people. Jesus, Yahweh saves. Jesus Christ, right? Lord, King. His name is tied to His essence, who He is. There's no disconnect. It's not just cute. There's an identity at stake. There's something about the authority of Jesus that when Peter proclaims it, we're going to hear more about that next week. John Newton says, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. I like this one. I know of a world that is sunk in shame. Brokenness. I know of a world that is sunk in shame, where hearts oft faint entire. But I know of a name a precious name that can set the world on fire. Its sound is sweet, its letters flame. I know of a name, a precious name. Tis Jesus. This healing, this miraculous moment where this man that was born lame is now able to walk and jump up and leap and praise God is a revelation of the person and the power of Jesus Christ. He indeed is king over all. And secondly, it is a revelation that a new day has dawned. And you can't miss this. Right? Isaiah chapter 35. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Right? This expectation of when a new day would come. When a new era, the kingdom of God, 
the new heavens and the new earth, this expectation of the end times where God would restore His glory in the midst of His people. Man, Israel waited for that. The church waited for that. And church was a fulfillment of that, right? This expectation when God would defeat all of His enemies, this new age that would come. Friends, this is what it means. This new age has come. How can I say that? Well, listen to how Isaiah goes on. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. In that day, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Do you hear that? And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is a sign that tells us that the new king is in town, and a new kingdom is in effect, the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the cure, the power. He has the power to cure all of our brokenness. You hear that? I don't know who you are. To, like Many of your faces are new. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what your brokenness looks like in your life, in your family. But whatever it is, the king has authority over it. And the kingdom of God through His Son Jesus, has the power, inherently, the power to restore it, to cure it, to heal it. It may not happen in this life, but friends, as we trust Him in the power of His name, as we rely upon that name, Jesus, guess what? We can know without a shadow of a doubt, whatever our brokenness is, He will cure it. He will restore it. He will heal it. making all things new. That's why we can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And friends, we can't miss the fact that what's taking place here is not just merely a physical healing. This physical healing, has, maybe I should say, doesn't just have physical significance. It's getting at what Peter sees in this man's life. He doesn't just need strong legs. He needs a strong heart. And that's what we see taking place next, right? In leaping, verse 8, he stood up and began to walk, entering the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him doing that, walking and praising God. So ultimately, the great effect that we see is not just that this man can stand up and walk. The great effect is that he is able to worship now. Do you see that? He's no longer sitting at the, the gate trying to get some cash from people on the way in. He is now walking and leaping and most importantly, praising the one that he has now received power from. And that is really what this community needs. There are so many physical needs out there. And we need to come alongside and and, and care for and be compassionate as the people of God. But recognize this, the greatest need of every human heart is to know Jesus. And is to experience the power of Jesus, not just to walk again, but to praise and worship Him for who He is. That's the greatest need of the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. Not fuller bank accounts, not fuller cupboards, not even strong legs. They need Jesus, just like we do. What we have, we give. That's 
That's everyday mission. We come face to face with brokenness, but what we have, we give. And what we give is our connection to and trust in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. That's what we got to do, Renovation Church. We got to believe that with all of our heart. Do you believe that? Can I ask that question? Say, oh, that's nice. Nice service tonight. Pastor preached too long, but nice. Nice service. Good singing. Man, that boy, good. He can sing, right? Right? No. Please, let me ask the question. Do you believe in the power and the person of Jesus to restore and cure all of our brokenness? If you believe that, let me tell you something. You will not hoard it. True belief will result in you giving it away. Because you'll say to yourself, how can I keep this to myself? How can I not tell my neighbor? How can I not approach my, my brother? How can I not approach my coworker with this gospel? Because it has that much power to change their brokenness. Talk about hating somebody. Having cure, ultimate cure, and not giving it to them? It's pretty mean. Peter and John don't do that. And what we see here is that Jesus is not just a cure for brokenness he, physically, but it is a cure spiritually. The whole part of who we are, He is the cure. He not only gives us strong legs, He's not just dealing with temporal needs, but He is indeed, as the King of the Kingdom of God, sovereign over all things, He is indeed the one that is giving us a heart to have faith in Him and a mouth to sing His praises. That, my friend, is a miracle. The transformation of the human heart to go from indifferent and hostile, to go from hopeless in the face of brokenness, to one who can now praise God and worship Him for all that He has done and all that He is in Jesus Christ that has cured their broken condition. Look at the crowd sees it. They recognize Him, verse 10. They recognize him as the one who used to sit there. Isn't this the guy? Hey, wait a minute. This guy? The guy running around, jumping around, leaping and praising God in the temple? This is the same guy, isn't it? He used to just sit out there and beg for money. Yep. That's the guy. Wow. They were filled with wonder and amazement at all that they had seen in this man's life. But friends, what they really needed to do, as Peter's about to tell, talk to the crowd about next week, is have wonder and amazement at the one who made it happen. Do you have that? Do you live in the wonder and the amazement of the transforming power of the name of Jesus Christ in your life? Or maybe we're bored. Maybe the good news is old news. Maybe it's an old hat that we put on. Maybe it's just what we do on Sunday mornings or Sunday night, depending on when your church meets. Do you really believe that? Are you wowed and wondered by the powerful, transforming grace of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ has the power to cure your broken condition. Let that set in. 
Jesus Christ has the power to cure your broken condition, no matter what it looks like. It's not a matter of if you're broken. You are. We all are. Sin has wreaked havoc in our life, and it wants to ruin us forever. We may not be able to see it on the surface, right? But it's there. It rears its ugly head in moments of stress, moments of difficulty, in moments of loss. It's there. Our brokenness is there. Friends, no matter what it is, Jesus Christ has the power to cure your broken condition. See that. See the power of Jesus' name. Not just the wildness of the miracle. See the power in the name. And bring your brokenness to Him. It's, it's kind of interesting, right? Usually I bring broken stuff to the dump, and they just take it, and they get rid of it. Right? Let's bring my son to the dump. We load up the, the van, put a tarp down, you know, put all the junk in the van. We take it to the dump and say, hey, please, just take my broken stuff and get rid of it. When we come to Jesus, we bring him our broken stuff. He doesn't, right? Imagine getting new stuff in return at the dump. Imagine that. Imagine bringing your old junky couch, right, that's nasty and worthless and, and smells, and you're dumping it off at the dump, and they give you a brand new couch. Imagine that at the dump. That'd be a nice dump. What do you think the cost for a permit to that dump would be? My point is this. We bring Jesus our brokenness. And he gives us a new heart in return. That's the beauty. Don't miss that tonight. Don't leave tonight without a new heart. Don't leave tonight without your ultimate brokenness that comes from your sin dealt with. And hey, as a great father, now that God will be, whatever your temporal brokenness is, whatever your physical ailment, He'll care for you. But know this. That when it comes to your heart, Jesus has the power to cure your broken condition. We're going to see more about this next week when Jim comes. It's a long passage and a long narrative. Basically scratch the surface. But if you're here tonight and you've got brokenness, you're in the right place, really. You're hearing about the right person. He can do it. Give your life to Him. Trust in Him. Rest in the power of Jesus' name. And you will be cured. Amen?